host, the Hunchback's Tale. It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that there dwelt during times of yore, and years and ages long gone before, in a certain city of China, a tailor who was an open-handed man that loved pleasuring and merrymaking, and who was wont, he and his wife, to solace themselves from time to time with public diversions and amusements. One day they went out with the thirst of the light, and were returning in the evening when they fell in with a hunchback whose semblance would draw a laugh from care and dispel the horrors of despair. So they went out to enjoy looking at him and invited him to go home with them and converse and carouse with them that night. He consented and accompanied them afoot to their home, whereupon the tailor fared forth to the bazaar, night having just set in, and bought a fried fish and bread and lemons and dry sweetmeats for dessert and set the victuals before the hunchback and they ate. Presently, the tailor's wife took a great sheet of fish and gave it in a gobbet to the gobble, stopping his mouth with her hand and saying, By Allah, thou must down it with a single gulp, and I will not give thee time to chew it. So he bolted it, but therein was a stiff bone which stuck in his gullet, and his hour being come, he died. And Sharatah perceived the dawn of day and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the twenty-fifth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that when the tailor's wife gave the hunchback that mouthful of fish, which ended his term of days, he died on the instant. Seeing this, the tailor cried aloud, There is no majesty, and there is no might save in Allah. Alas, this poor wretch should have died in so foolish fashion at our hands. And the woman rejoined, why this idle talk? Hast thou not heard his saying, who said, Why then waste I my time in grief? Until I find no friend to bear my weight of woe, How sleep upon a fire that flames unquenched, Upon the flames to rest were hard enough. Asked her husband, And what shall I do with him? And she answered, Rise and take him in thine arms, and spread a silken kerchief over him. Then I will fare forth with thee following me this very night. And if thou meet anyone, say, This is my son, and his mother and I are carrying him to the doctor, so that he may look at him. So he rose, and taking the hunchback in his arms, bore him along the street, preceded by his wife, who kept crying, Oh, my son, Allah keep thee. What partainity, and where has this small fox attacked thee? So all who saw them said, Is a child sick of smallpox? They went along asking for the physician's house, till folk directed them to that of a leech, which was a Jew. They knocked at the door, and there came down to them a black slave girl, who opened and seen a man bearing a babe, and a woman with him, said to them, what is the matter? We have a little one with us, and we wish to show him to the physician. So take this quarter dinar and give it to thy master, and let him come down and see my son, who is sore sick. The girl went up to tell her master, whereupon the tailor's wife walked into the vestibule and said to her husband, Leave the hunchback here, and let us fly for our life. So the tailor carried the dead man to the top of the stairs, and dropped him right against the wall and ran away, he and his wife. Meanwhile, 
the girl went into the Jew and said to him, At the door are a man and a woman with a sick child, and they have given me a quarter dinar for thee, that thou mayest go down and look at the little one of the side for it. As soon as the Jew saw the quarter dinar, he rejoiced and rose quickly in his greed of gain, and went forth hurriedly in the dark. But hardly had he made a step when he stumbled on the corpse and threw it over, when it rolled to the bottom of the staircase. So he cried out to the girl to hurry up to the light, and she brought it, whereupon he went down and examining the hunchback, found that he was stone dead. So he cried out, Oh, for Ephraim, oh, for Moses, oh, for Aaron, oh, for Joshua, son of Nun, oh, the Ten Commandments, I have stumbled against a sick one, he has fallen downstairs, and he is dead. How shall I get this man I have killed out of my house? Oh, by the hooves, the ass of Esdras. Then he took up the body, and carrying it into the house, told his wife what had happened. And she said to him, Why dost thou sit still? If thou keep him here till daybreak, we shall both lose our lives. Let us two carry him to the terraced roof and throw him over into the house of our neighbor, the Muslim. But if he abide there at night, the dogs will come down on him from the adjoining terraces and eat him up. Now his neighbor was a reed, the controller of the sultan's kitchen, and was wont to bring back a great store of oil and fat and broken meat. But the cats and rats used to eat it, or if the dogs scented a fat sheep's tail, they would come down on the nearest rat. And on this wise, the beast had already damaged much of what he brought home. So the Jew and his wife carried the hunchback up to the roof, and, letting him down by his hands and feet through the wind shaft into the reeve's house, propped him up against the wall, and went their way. Hardly had they done this when the reeve, who had been passing an evening with his friends, hearing a recitation of the Quran, came home and opened the door, and going up with a lighted candle, found the son of Adam standing in the corner under the ventilator. When he saw this, he said, Ah, by Allah, very good forsooth. He who robbeth my stuff is none other than a man. Then he turned to the hunchback and said, So, tis thou that stealest the meat and the fat. I thought it was the cats and dogs, and I killed the dogs and cats of the quarter, and sinned against them by killing them. And all the while, Tis thou comest down from the house, terrace through the wind shaft. But I will avenge myself upon thee with my own hand. So he snatched up a heavy hammer and set upon him and smote him full on the breast, and he fell down. Then he examined him, and finding that he was dead, cried out in horror, thinking that he had killed him, and said, There is no majesty and there is no might save in Allah, the glorious, the great. And he feared for his life and added, Allah curse the oil and the meat and the grease and the sheep's tail to boot. How hath faith given this man his quickest by my hand? Then he looked at the body and seeing it was that of a goggle said, Was it not enough for thee to be a hunchback? But thou must likewise be a thief and drink flesh and fat. Oh, thou veiler! Deign to veil me with thy curtain for concealment. So he took him up on his shoulders, and going forth with him from his house about the latter end of the night, carried him to the nearest end of the bazaar, where he set him up on his feet against the wall of a shop at the head of a dark lane, and left him and went away. After a while, up came a Nazarene, the sultan's broker, who, much bemused with liquor, was purposing for the Hammam at his drunkenness whispered in his ears, 
Verily, the cross of the mountains is nice. He came plodding along and staggering about till he drew near the hunchback and squatted down to make water over against him. When he happened to glance around and saw a man standing against the wall. Now some person had snatched off the Christian's turban in the first of the night. And when he saw the hunchback hard by, he fancied that he also meant to steal his head there. Thereupon he clenched his fist and struck him on the neck, felling him to the ground, and called aloud to the watchman of the bazaar, and came down on the body in his drunken fury, and kept on belaboring and throttling the corpse. Presently, the Charlie came up, finding a Nazarene kneeling on a Muslim, and strapping him, asked, What harm hath this one done? The, the fellow meant to snatch off my turban. Get up from him! So he arose, and the Charlie went up to the hunchback, and finding him dead, exclaimed, By Allah, good indeed! A Christian killing a Mohammedan! Then he seized the broker, tying his hand behind his back, carried him to the governor's house, and all the while the Nazarene kept saying to himself, Oh, Messiah! Oh, virgin! How came to kill this fellow, and in what hurry he must have been to pass his life when he died in a single blow! Presently, as in his drunken fled, came Dolor in its stead, so the broker and the body were kept in the governor's place till morning morrowed, when the Wali came out and gave order to hang the supposed murderer, and commanded the executioner make proclamation of the sentence. Forthwith, they set up a gallows under which they made the Nazarene stand, and the torchbearer, who was hangman, threw the rope around his neck and passed one end to the pulley, and was about to hoist him up when lo, the reeve, who was passing by, saw the broker about to be hanged, and making his way to the people, cried out to the executioner, Hold! Hold! I am thou who killed the hunchback! What made thee kill him? Asked the governor, and he answered, I went home last night, and there found this man who had come down from the ventilator to steal my property. So I smote him with a hammer on the breast, and he died forthright. Then I took him up and carried him to the bazaar, and set him up against the wall in such a place near such a lane. This is not enough for me to have killed a Muslim without also not killing a Christian. So hang none other but me. When the governor heard these words, he released the broker and said to the torchbearer, Hang up this man in his own confession. So he loosed the cord from the Nazarene's neck and threw it round that of the reeve and making him stand under the gallows tree, was about to string him up. When behold, the Jewish physician pulled through the people and shouted to the executioner, Hold, hold. It was I, and none else killed the hunchback. Last night I was sitting at home when a man and a woman knocked at the door, carrying this gobo who was sick, and gave my handmaid a quarter dinner, bidding her hand to me the fee, and told me to come down to see him. While she was gone, the man and a woman brought him into the house, and setting him on the stairs, went away. And presently I came down, and not seeing him, for it was dark, stumbled over him, and he fell to the foot of the staircase, and died on the moment. Then we took him up, I and my wife, and carried him on to the top terrace. And, the house of this reeve being next door to mine, we let the body down from the ventilator. When he came home and found the hunchback in his house, he fancied he was a thief and struck him with a hammer, so that he fell to the ground, and our neighbor made certain that he had slain him. Now, is it not enough for me to have killed one Muslim unwittingly? Without burdening myself with taking the life of another Muslim wittingly. When the governor heard this, he said to the hangman, Set free the reeve and hang the Jew. Thereupon the torchbearer took him and slung the cord around his neck, when behold, the tailor pushed through the people and shouted to the executioner, 
Hold! Hold! It was I! And none else killed the hunchback. And this was the fashion thereof. I had been out pleasuring yesterday, and coming back to supper, fell in with this gobo, who was drunk, and drumming away and singing lustily to his tambourine. So I, I accosted him and carried him to my house and bought the fish, and we sat down to eat. Presently, my wife took a feed of fish, and making a garbage of it, and crammed it into his mouth, but some of it went down the wrong way, or stuck in his gullet, and he died on the instant. So we lifted him up, I and my wife, and carried him to the jewel's house, where the slave girl came down and opened the door to us, and I said to her, Tell thy master that there are a man and a woman, and a sick person for thee to see. I gave her a quart of dinar, and she went up to tell her master, and whilst she was gone, I carried the hunchback to the head of the staircase, propped him up against the wall, and went off with my wife. When the Jew came down, he stumbled over him and thought that he had killed him. Then he asked the Jew, Is this the truth? And the Jew answered, Yes. Thereupon the tailor turned to the governor and said, Leave go of the Jew and hang me. When the governor heard the tailor's tale, he marveled at the matter of the hunchback and exclaimed, Verily, this is an adventure which should be recorded in books. Then he said to the hangman, Let the Jew go and hang the tailor on his own confession. The executioner took the tailor and put the rope around his neck and said, I am tired of such slow work. We bring out this one and change him for that other, and no one is hanged at all. Now the hunchback in question was very late, gestured to the Sultan of China, who could not bear him out of his sight. So when the fellow got drunk and did not make his appearance that night or the next night or the next day till noon, the Sultan asked some of his courtiers about them, and they answered, Oh, our lord, the governor hath come upon him dead and hath ordered his murder to be hanged. But as the hangman was about to hoist them up, there came a second and a third and a fourth, and each one said, it is I, and none else killed the hunchback. And each gave a full and circumstantial account of the manner of the jester being killed. When the king heard this, he cried aloud to the chamberlain and waited. Go down to the governor, and bring me all four of them. So the chamberlain went down at once to the place of execution, where he found the torchbearer on the point of hanging the tailor and shouted to him. Hold! Hold! Then he gave the king's command to the governor, who took the tailor, the Jew, the Nazarene, and the Reed, the hunchback's body being borne on men's shoulders, and went up with one and all of them to the king. When he came into the presence, he kissed the ground, and acquainted the ruler with the whole story, which it is needless to relate, for as they say, there is no avail in a thrice-told tale. The sultan, hearing it, marveled and was moved to mirth and commanded the story to be written in letters of liquid gold, saying to those present, Did you hear a more wondrous tale than that of my hunchback? Thereupon, the Nazarene broker came forward and said, O king of age, with thy leave I will tell thee a thing which happened to myself and which is more wondrous and marvelous and pleasurable and delectable than the tale of the hunchback. Tell us what thou hast to say. So he began in these words the Nazarene broker's story. O king of the age, I came to this thy country with merchandise and destiny stayed me here with you. But my place of birth was Cairo in Egypt, where I was brought up, for I am one of the cops and my father was a broker before me. When I came to man's estate, he departed this life and I succeeded to his business. One day, as I was sitting in my shop, 
Behold, there came up to me a youth as handsome as could be, wearing sumptuous raiment and riding a fine ass. When he saw me, he saluted me, and I stood up to do him honor. Then he took out a kerchief containing a sample of sesame and asked, How much is this worth per ardab? An hundred dirhams. Take porters and gaugers and meatsmen, and come tomorrow to the Khan al-Jawali, by the gate of Victory Quarter, where thou wilt find me. Then he fared forth, leaving with me the sample of sesame in his kerchief. And I went the round of my customers, and ascertained that every Ardab would fetch a hundred and twenty dirhams. Next day I took four metsmen and walked with them to Khan, where I found him awaiting me. As soon as he saw me rose and opened his magazine, when we measured the grain till the store was empty, and we found the contents fifty Ardabs, making five thousand pieces of silver. And said he, Let ten dirhams for every Ardab be thy brokerage. So take the price and keep in deposit four thousand and five hundred dirhams for me. Then, when I have made an end of selling my other wares in my warehouses, I will come to thee and receive the amount. I will well. Replied I, and kissing his hand went away. Having made the day of profit of a thousand dirhams, he was absent a month at the end of which he came to me and asked, Where be the dirhams? I rose and saluted him and answered to him, Will thou not eat somewhat in my house? But he refused with a remark, Get the monies ready, and I will presently return and take them. Then he rode away. So I brought out the dirhams and sat down to await him. But he stayed away for another month, when he came back and said to me, Where be the dirhams? I rose and saluting him asked, Will thou not eat something in my house? But he again refused adding, Get the monies ready. I will presently return and take them. Then he rode off. So I brought out the Durhams and sat to await his return. But he stayed away from me a third month, and I said, Verily this young man is liberality in incarnate form. At the end of the month he came up, riding a mare mule and wearing a suit of sumptuous raiment. He was as the moon on the night of fullness, and he seemed as if fresh from the baths, with cheeks rosy bright and his brow flower white and a mole spot like a grain of ambergris delighting the sight, even as was said of such an one by the poets. Full moon with sun and single mansion, in priceless sheen and fortune rose and shone, with happy splendor changing every sprite, hail to what guerdons, prayer with blissful boon, their charms and grace have gained perfection's height, all hearts have conquered and all wits have won. Love to the Lord for books so wonder strange, and what the Almighty wills, his hand hath done. When I saw him, I rose to him, and invoking blessings on him, asked, O oh, my lord, wilt thou not take thy monies? Whence they hurry? Wait until I have made an end of my business. Then I will come and take them. Again he rode away, and I said to myself, By Allah, when he comes next time, needs must I make him any guest, for I have traded with his durams and have gotten large gains thereby. At the end of the year he came again, habited in a suit of clothes more sumptuous than the former, and when I conjured him by the evangel to alight at my house and eat of my guest food, he said, I consent, on condition that what thou expendest on me shall be from my own monies, still in thine hands. I answered, So be it, and made him sit down whilst I got ready what was needful of meat and drink and else besides, and set the tray before him with the invitation. Bismillah! Then he drew near the tray and put out his left hand and ate with me. And I marveled at his not using the right hand. When we had done eating, I poured water on his hand and gave him where to wipe it. 
Upon this we sat down to converse after I had set before him some sweet meats, and I said to him, On oh, my master, prithee believe me by telling me why thou eatest with thy left hand, perchance something aileth thy other hand. When he heard my words, he repeated these verses. Dear friend, ask not what burneth in my breast, lest thou see fiery pangs I never saw. Will not my heart to harbor Salma instead of Leila's love, but need hath ne'er a law. And he put out his right arm from his sleeve, and behold, the hand was cut off, a wrist without a fist. I was astounded at this, but he said, Marvel not, and think not that I eat with my left hand for conceit and insolence, but of necessity. And the cutting off of my right hand was caused by an adventure of the strangest. And what caused it? Asked I, and he answered, Know that I am of the sons of Baghdad, and my father was of the notables of that city. When I came to man's estate, I heard the wayfarers and travelers and merchants talk of the land of Egypt, and the words sank deep into my mind till my parents died, when I took a large sum of money and furnished myself for trade with all the stuffs of Baghdad and Mosul, and, packing them up in bales, set out on my wanderings, and Allah decreed me safety till I entered this, your city. The blear-eyed scapes the pits, wherein the lynx-eyed fall, where the wise man slays, and saves the natural. The Muslim fails of food, the kafir feasts in hall. What art or act is man? God's will obligeth all. So I entered Cairo, and took off my loads, and stored my stuffs in the Khan al-Masrur. Then I gave the servant a few silvers, wherein to buy me some food, and lay down and sleep for a while. When I awoke, I went to a street called Ben al-Kasran, between the two palaces, and presently returned, and rested my night in the Khan. When it was morning, I opened the bale, and took out some stuff, saying to myself, I will be off, and go through some of the bazaars to see the state of the market. So I loaded the stuff on some of my slaves, and fared forth, till I reached the Kasaria, or exchange of the Jaharkas, where the brokers who knew of my coming came to meet me. They took the stuffs and cried them for sale but could not get the prime cost for them. I was vexed at this. However, the sheikh of the brokers said to me, O oh, my lord, I will tell thee how thou mayst make a profit of thy goods. Thou shouldest do as the merchants do, and sell thy merchandise at credit for a fixed period, on a contract drawn up by a notary and duly witnessed and employ a shroff to take thy dues every Monday and Thursday. So shalt thou gain two dirhams and more for every one, and thou shalt solace and divert thyself by seeking Cairo and the Nile. This is sound advice, and carried the brokers to the Khan. They took my stuffs and went with them on change, where I sold them well, taking bonds for the value. These bonds I would deposit with Ashraf, a banker, who gave me a receipt, with which I returned to the Khan. Here I stayed a whole month, breaking my fast on a cup of wine, and making my meals of pigeon meat, mutton, and sweetmeats, till the time came when my receipts would fall due. So every Monday and Thursday I would go on to change, and sit in the shop of one of the other merchants, while the notary and money changer would go around and recover the monies from the traders, till after the time of the mid-afternoon prayer where they brought me the amount, and I counted it, and, sealing the bag, returned with them to the Khan. On a certain day, which happened to be a Monday, I went to the Hammam, thence back to my Khan, and sitting down in my own room, broke my fast on my cup of wine, then lay down to sleep for a while, 
After I awoke, I ate a chicken, and perfuming my person, went on to the shop of a merchant, Haibadr al-Din al-Bastani, or the gardener, who welcomed me. And we sat talking a while, until the bazaar should open. Presently, behold, up came a lady, of stately figure, with a headdress of the most magnificent, perfumed in the sweetest of scents, and walking with a graceful, swaying gait. And seeing me, she raised her mantilla, allowing me a glimpse of her beautiful black eyes. She saluted Badr al-Din, who returned her salutation, and stood up and talked with her. And the moment I heard her speak, the love of her took hold of my heart. Presently, she said to Badr al-Din, Hast thou by thee a cut piece of stuff woven with thread of pure gold? So we brought out a piece from which she had bought from me, and sold it to her for 1,200 dirhams. Then she asked, I will take the piece home with me and send thee its price. That is impossible, O oh my lady. The merchant replied, For here is the owner of the stuff, and I owe him a share of profit. Fie upon thee! Do I not use to take from thee entire rows of costly stuff, and give thee a greater profit than thou expectest, and send thee the money? Yes, but I stand in pressing need of the price this very day. Hereupon she took up the piece, and threw it down on his lap, saying, Allah confound the tribe of you which estimates none at the right value. And she turned to go, and I felt my very soul turning to go with her. So I stood up and stayed her, saying, I conjure thee by the Lord, O good lady, please, favor me by retracing my gracious steps. She turned back with a smile and said, For thy sake I return, and took a seat opposite me in the shop. Then quoth I to Badr al-Din, What is the price they asked thee for this piece? And quoth he, Eleven hundred dirhams. I rejoined, The odd hundred shall be thy profit. Bring me a sheet of paper. I will write a discharge for it. Then I wrote him a receipt in my own handwriting, and gave the piece to the lady, saying, Take it away with thee, and, if thou wilt, bring me its price the next bazaar day, or better still, accept it as my guest gift to thee. And Allah favored her prayer. Allah requite thee with good, and make thee my husband and lord, and master of all I have. I saw the gates of paradise swing open before me, and said, O my lady, let this piece of stuff be now thine, and another just like it is ready for thee. Only let me have one look at thy face. So she raised her veil, and I saw the face with which bequeathed to me a thousand sighs. And my heart was so captivated by her love, that I was no longer ruler of my own reason. Then she let fall her face veil, and taking up the piece of stuff, said, Oh my lord, make me not desolate by thine absence, and turned away and disappeared from my sight. I remained sitting on charge, till past the hour of afternoon prayer, lost to the world by the love which had mastered me, and the violence of my passion compelled me to make inquiries concerning her of the merchant, who answered me, This is a lady and a rich. She is the daughter of a certain emir who lately died and left her a large fortune. Then I took leave of him and returned home to the Khan, where they had laid supper before me. But I could not eat for thinking of her, and when I lay down to sleep, sleep came not near me. So I watched till morning, when I arose and donned a change of raiment, and drank a cup of wine, and broke my fast on some slight matter. I returned to the merchant shop, where I saluted him, and sat down by him. Presently, up came the lady as usual, followed by a slave girl, and wearing a dress more sumptuous than before. And she saluted me without noticing Badr al-Din, and said in fluent, graceful speech, Never heard I a voice softer or sweeter. Send one with me to take the thousand and two hundred dirhams, the price of the peace. Why this hurry? 
May we never lose thee. And handed me the money. Then I sat talking with her, and presently I signed to her in dumb show, whereby she understood that I longed to enjoy her person, and she rose up in haste to show her displeasure. My heart clung to her, and I went forth from the bazaar and followed her on track. As I was walking, a black slave girl stopped me suddenly and said, Oh, my master, come speak with my mistress. At this I was surprised and replied, There is none who knows me here. But she rejoined, Oh, my lord, how soon hast thou forgotten her? My lady is the same who was this day at the shop of such a merchant. Then I went with her to the shroffs, where I found the lady, who drew me near to her side and said, Oh, my beloved, thine image is firmly stamped upon my fancy, and love of thee hath gotten hold of my heart. From the hour I first saw thee, nor sleep, nor food, nor drink, hath given me aught of pleasure. I replied, The doubling of that suffering is mine, and my state dispenseth me from complaint. Then she said, O oh, my beloved, at thy house or at mine? So be it. But this is Friday night, and nothing can be done until tomorrow after public prayers. Go to the mosque and pray. Then mount thine ass and ask for the Habaniya quarter. And when there, look for the mansion of Al-Nakib Bakarat, commonly known as Abu Shamar, the syndic. For I live there. So, do not delay, as I shall be expecting thee. I rejoiced with still greater joy at this, and took my leave of her and returned to my Khan, where I passed a sleepless night. Hardly was I assured that morning had dawned when I rose, changed my dress, and perfumed myself with essences of sweet scent, and, taking fifty dinars in a handkerchief, went from the Khan al-Masrur to Zawaila gate, where I mounted an ass and said to its owner, Take me to the Habaniya. So he set off with me and brought me, in the twinkling of an eye, to a street known as Darb al-Munkari, where I said to him, Go in and ask for the syndic's mansion. He was absent a while and returned and said, Alight. Go now before me to the house. Come back with the earliest light and bring me home. And he answered, In Allah's name. Whereupon I gave him a quarter dinar of gold, and he took it and went his ways. Then I knocked on the door, and out came two white slave girls, both young, high-bosomed virgins, as though they were moons, and said to me, Enter, for our mistress is expecting thee. And she has not slept the night long for her delight in I passed through the vestibule, into a saloon with seven doors, floored with parti-colored marbles, and furnished with curtains and hangings of colored silks. The ceiling was cloisonnade with gold, and cornished with inscriptions emblazoned on lapis lazuli, and the walls were stucco with sultani gypsum, which mirrored its beholder's face. Around the saloon were latticed windows, overlooking a garden with all manner of fruits, whose streams were railing and rifling, and whose birds were trilling and shrilling, and at the heart of the hall was a jetting fountain, at whose corner stood birds, fashioned of red gold, encrusted with pearls and gems, and spouting water crystal clear. When I entered and took a seat, And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the twenty-sixth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the young merchant continued as follows. When I entered and took a seat, the lady appeared at once, crowned with a diadem of pearls and jewels, her face dotted with artificial moles of indigo, her eyebrows penciled with coal, and her hands and feet reddened by henna. When she saw me, she smiled in my face, and took me to her embrace, and clasped me to her breast. Then she put her mouth to my mouth, and sucked my tongue, and I did likewise. Can it be true? Oh, my little darkling, thou art come to me? Welcome and good cheer to thee. By Allah, from the day I saw thee, sleep hath not been sweet to me, nor have food been pleasant. 
such hath also been my case, and I am thy slave, thy Nubian slave. Then we sat down to converse, and I hung my head earthwards in bashfulness, but she delayed not long, ere she set before me a tray of the most exquisite viands, marinated meat, fritters soaked in bees' honey, chicken stuffed with sugar and pistachio nuts, whereof we ate until we were satisfied. Then they brought basin and ewer, and I washed my hands and we scented ourselves with rosewater musk, and sat down again to converse. So she began repeating these couplets. Had we wist of thy coming, thy way had been strewn with the blood of our heart and the balls of our sight, our cheek as a footcloth to greet thee been thrown, that thy step on our eyelids should softly alight. And she kept plaining of what had befallen her, and I of what betided me, and love of her got so firm a hold of my heart that all of my wealth seemed a thing of naught in comparison with her. Then we fell to toying and groping and kissing till nightfall, when the handmaiden set before us meats and complete wine service, and we sat carousing until the noon of night, when she lay down, and I lay down with her, never in my life. Saw I a night like that night, when morning morrow, I arose and took leave of her, throwing under the carpet bed the handkerchief wherein were the dinars, and as I went out, she wept, and said, Oh my lord, when shall I look upon that lovely face again? I will be with thee at sunset, answered I, and, going out, I found the donkey boy who had brought me the day before, waiting outside the door. So I mounted ass and rode to Khan al-Masrur, where I alighted and gave the man a half dinar, saying, Return at sunset, and he said, I will. Then I breakfasted and went out to seek the price of my stuffs, after which I returned, and, taking a roast lamb and some sweet meat, I called the porter and put the provisions in his crate and sent it to the lady. Paying the man for hire, I went back to my business till sunset, when the ass driver came to me. And I took fifty dinars and a handkerchief, and rode to her house, where I found the marble floor swept, the brasses burning, the burnt lights burning, the wax candles ready lighted, and meat served up, and the wine strained. When my lady saw me, she threw her arms around me and cried, Thou hast desolated me by thine absence. Then she set the tables before me. And we ate till we were satisfied. Then the slave girls carried off the trays and served up wine. We gave over not to drinking, until half the night had passed. And, being well warmed with drink, we set off to the sleeping chamber and lay there till morning. I then arose and fared forth from her, leaving fifty dinars with her as before. And, finding the donkey boy at the door, rode to the Khan and slept a while. After that, I went out to make ready the evening meal and took a brace of geese with gravy on two platters, all dressed and peppered right, and got ready colocasia roots, fried and soaked in honey, and wax candles and fruits, and conserves and nuts, and almonds and sweet-scented covers, and I sent them all to her. As soon as it was night again, I tied up the fifty dinars in a handkerchief, and mounting the ass as usual, rode to the mansion, where we ate and drank and lay together until morning, when I threw the handkerchief and dinars to her, and rode back to the Khan. I ceased not doing after that fashion, till, after a sweet night, I woke one fine morning, and I found myself beggared, dinarless and dirhamless. So I said to myself, Oh, this be Satan's work, and began to recite these couplets. Poverty deems the sheen of man, whate'er his wealth has been, e'en as the sun about to set shines with a yellowing light, absent, he falls from memory, forgotten by his friends. Present, he shareth not their joys, for none in him delight. He walks the market shunned by all, too glad to hide his head. In desert places tears he sheds, and moans his bitter plight. By Allah, mid his kith and kin, a man however good, waylaid by want and penury, 
is but a stranger white. I fared forth from the Khan and walked down the between the palace's street till I came to Lezawaya port. There I found people crowding around the gateway, blocked for much folk, and by the decree of destiny, I saw a trooper against whom I pressed unintentionally, so that my hand came upon his bosom pocket, and I felt a purse inside it. I looked, and seeing a piece of green string hanging from the pocket, knew it for a purse. The crush grew greater every minute, and just then, a camel, laden with a load of fuel, happened to jostle the trooper on the opposite side, and he turned around to fend it off from him, lest it tear his clothes, and Satan tempted me. So I pulled the string and threw out the little bag of blue silk, containing something that chinked like coin, but the soldier, filling his pocket, suddenly lightened, put his hand to it and found it empty, whereupon he turned to me and, snatching up his mace from his saddlebow, struck me with it on the head. I fell to the ground, whilst the people came around us, and, seizing the trooper's mare by the bridle, said to him, Strikest thou this youth such a blow as this, for a mere bush? But the trooper cried out at them, This fellow is an accursed thief! Whereupon I came to myself, and stood up, and the people looked at me, and said, Nay, he's a comely hood. He would not steal anything. And some of them took my part, and others were against me. And question and answer waxed loud and warm. The people pulled at me, and would have rescued me from his clutches. But as fate decreed, behold, the governor, the chief of police, and the watch entered the Zoalia gate at this moment, and, seeing the people gathered together around me, and the soldier, the governor asked, What is the matter? By Allah, O Emir, this is a thief. I had in my pocket a purse of blue silk lined with twenty good gold pieces, and he took it whilst I was in the crush. Was anyone by thee at the time? No. Thereupon, the governor cried out at the chief of police, who seized me, and on this wise, the curtains of the Lord's protection were withdrawn from me. Then he said, Strip him! When they stripped me, they found the purse in my clothes. Yevali took it, opened it, and counted it. And, finding in it twenty dinars, as the soldier had said, waxed exceeding wroth, and bade his guard to bring me before him. Then he said to me, Now you speak truly. Didst thou steal this purse? At this I hung my head to the ground, and said to myself, If I deny having stolen it, then I will get myself into terrible trouble. So I raised my head and said, Yes, yes I took it. When the governor heard these words, he wondered, and summoned witnesses come forward and attest my confession. All this happened at the Zawalia gate. Then the governor ordered the link bearer to cut off my right hand, and he did so. After which, he would have struck off my left too. But the heart of the soldier softened, and he took pity on me, and interceded with the governor that I should not be slain. Thereupon, the Wali left me, and went away, and the folk remained around me, and gave me a cup of wine to drink. As for the trooper, he pressed the purse upon me, and said, Go out the comely youth, and it befitteth not thou be a thief. So I repeated these verses. I swear by Allah's name, fair sir, no thief was I, nor of thou best of men was I a bandit prey. But fortune's change and chance o'erthrew me suddenly, and kirk and care and penury my course misled. I shot it not. Indeed, t'was Allah shot the shaft that rolled in the dust the kingly diadem from my head. The soldier turned away after giving me the purse, and I also went my ways and wrapping my hand in a piece of rag and thrust it to my bosom. My whole semblance had changed, and my color had waxed yellow from the shame and pain which had befallen me. Yet I went on to my mistress's house, where, in extreme perturbation of spirit, I threw myself down on the carpet bed. She saw me in this state and asked me, What aileth thee, and why do I see thee so changed in looks? My head pains me, 
and I am far from well. Whereupon she was vexed and was concerned on my account, and said, Burden not my heart, O my lord, but sit up and raise thy head and recount to me what hath happened to thee today. Thy face tells me a tale. Leave this talk. But she wept and said, Meseems thou art tired of me, for I see thee contrary to thy want. But I was silent, and she kept on talking to me. Albeit I gave her no answer, until night came on. Then she set her food before me, but I refused it, lest she see me eating with my left hand, and said to her, I have no stomach to eat at present. Tell me what hath befallen thee today, and why art thou so sorrowful and broken in spirit and in heart? Wait a while, I will tell thee all at my leisure. Then she brought me wine, saying, Down with it, this will dispel thy grief. Thou must indeed drink and tell me of thy tidings. Perforce must I tell thee? Yes. If it needs must be so, then give me to drink with thine own hand. She filled the drink, and filled again, and gave me the cup, which I took with my own left hand, and wiped tears from my eyelids, and began repeating, When Allah willeth aught befall a man, who hath his ears and eyes and wits full share, his ears he deafens, his eyes he blinds, and draws his wits, in as we draw a hair, till, having wrought his purpose, he restores man's wits, that worn more circumpact he fare. When I ended my verses I wept, and she cried with an exceeding loud cry. What is the cause of thy tears? Thou burns my heart. What makes thee to take the cup with thy left hand? Truly, I have on my right hand a boil. Put it out, and I will open it for thee. It is not yet time to open it. So worry me not with thy words, for I will not take it out of the bandage at this hour. Then I drank of the cup, and she gave not over, plying me with drink until drunkenness overcame me, and I fell asleep in the place where I was sitting. Whereupon, she looked at my right hand, and saw a wrist without a fist. So she searched me closely, and found with me the purse of gold, and my severed hand wrapped in a bit of rag. With this such sorrow came upon her as never overcame any, and she ceased not lamenting on my account till the morning. When I awoke, I found that she had dressed me a dish of broth and four boiled chickens, which she brought to me together with a cup of wine. I ate and drank, and laying down the purse, would have gone out, but she said to me, Whither away? Where my business calleth me. Thou shalt not go. Sit thee down. So I sat down, and she resumed, Hath thy love for me so overpowered thee that thou hast wasted all thy wealth, and hath lost thy hand on my account? I take thee to witness against me, and also Allah be my witness that I will never part with thee, but will die under thy feet. And soon thou shalt see that my words are true. Then she sent for the Kazi and witnesses, and said to them, Write my contract of marriage with this young man, and bear ye witness that I have received the marriage settlement. When they had drawn up the document, she said, Be witness that all my monies which are in this chest, and all I have in slaves and handmaidens, and other property is given in free gift to this young man. So they took act of this statement enabling me to assume possession of right of marriage, and then withdrew after receiving their fees. Thereupon, she took me by the hand, and, leading me to the closet, opened a large chest, and said to me, See what is herein. Then I looked, and behold, it was full of handkerchiefs. This is the money I had from thee, and every kerchief thou givest me, containing fifty dinars, I wrapped up and cast into this chest. So now take thine own, for it returns to thee, and this day thou art to become of high estate. Fortune and fate afflicted thee, so that thou didst lose thy right hand for my sake, and I can never requite thee. Nay, although I give my life, twere but little, and I should still remain thy debtor. 
take charge of my property. I transferred the contents of her chest to my chest and added my wealth to her wealth which I had given her and my heart was eased and my sorrows ceased. I stood up and kissed her and thanked her and she said, Thou hast given thy hand for love of me and how am I able to give thee an equivalent? By Allah, if I offered my life for thy love, it were indeed but little and would not do justice to thy claim upon me. Then she made over to me all by deed that she possessed in clothes and ornaments of gold and pearls and goods and forums and chattels and lay not down to sleep that night being sorely grieved for my grief till I told her the whole of what had befallen me. I passed the night with her but before we had lived together a month's time she fell sorely sick and illness increased upon her for reasons of her grief for the loss of my hand and she endured for fifty days before she was numbered among the folks of futurity and the heirs of immortality. So I laid her out and buried her body in Mother Earth and let make a pious perfection of the Quran for the health of her soul and gave many money and alms for her. After which I turned me from the grave and returned to the house. There I found that she had left much in sustenance and ready money and slaves, mansions and lands and domains and among her storehouses a granary of sesame seeds wherein I sold part to thee and I had neither time nor inclination to take count with thee till I had sold the rest of the stock in the store. Nor indeed, even now have I made an end to receiving the price. So I desire thou balk me not at what I am about to say to thee. Twice have I eaten thy food, and I wish to give to thee as a present the monies for the sesame, which are by thee. Such is the cause of the cutting off of my right hand, and the eating with my left. Indeed, thou hast shown me the utmost kindness and liberality. What shouldst thou not travel with me to my native country, whither I am about to return with Kyrene and Alexandria and stuffs? Say me, wilt thou accompany me? I will. So I agreed to go with them at the head of the month, and I sold all I had and brought other merchandise. Then we set out and traveled, I and the young man to this country of yours, where he sold his venture and bought other investment of country stuffs and continued his journey to Egypt. But it was my lot to abide here, so that these things befell me in my strangerhood, which befell last night, and is not this tale. O king of age, more wondrous and marvelous than the story of the hunchback? Not so, quoth the king. I cannot accept it. There is no help for it but that you be hanged, every one of you. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the twenty-seventh night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that when the king of China declared, There is no help for it but that you be hanged. The reeve of the sultan's kitchen came forward and said, If thou permit me, I will tell thee a tale of what befell me just before I found this double. And if it be more wondrous than his story, do thou grant us our lives. And when the king answered, Yes, he began to recount the reeve's tale. Know, O king, that last night I was at a party where they made a perfection of the Quran and got together doctors of law and religion skilled in recitation and intoning. And when the readers ended, the table was spread, and amongst other things they set before us was a marinated ragout flavored with cumin seed. So we sat down, but one of our number held back and refused to touch it. We conjured him to eat of it, but he swore he would not. And when we again pressed him, he said, 
Be not instant with me. Sufficeth me that which hath already befallen me through eating it. And he began reciting. Shorter thy tray and go straight to thy goal. And if suit thee this call, why, use this call. When he ended his verse, we said to him, Allah upon thee, tell us thy reason for refusing to eat of the cumin ragout. If so it be, he replied, and needs must I eat of it. I will not do so except I wash my hand forty times with soap, forty times with potash, and forty times with galangale, the total being one hundred and twenty washings. Thereupon the hospitable hosts bade his slaves bring water and whatso he required, and the young man washed his hands as aforementioned. Then he sat down, as if disgusted and frightened withal, and dipping his hand in the ragout, began eating and at the same time showing signs of anger, and we wondered at him with extreme wonderment, for his hand trembled, and the morsel in it shook, and we saw that his thumb had been cut off, and he ate it with his four fingers only. So we said to him, Allah upon thee, what happened to thy thumb? Is thy hand thus by the creation of God, or hath some accident befallen it? Oh, my brothers! He answered, It is not only thus with this thumb, but also with my other thumb, and with both my great toes, as you shall see. So saying, he uncovered his left hand and his feet, and we saw that his left hand was even as the right, and in like manner, that each of his feet liked its great toe. When we saw him after this fashion, our amazement waxed still greater, and we said to him, we have hardly patience enough to await thy history, and to hear the manner of the cutting off of thy thumbs, and the reason of thy washing both hands one hundred and twenty times. Know then that my father was chief of the merchants, and the wealthiest of them all in Baghdad city, during the reign of Caliph Harun al-Rashid, and he was much given to wine drinking, and listening to the lute, and the other instruments of pleasance, so that when he died he left nothing. I buried him, and had collections of the Quran made for him, and mourned for him days and nights. Then I opened his shop, and found that he had left in it few goods, while his debts were many. However, I compounded with his creditors for time to settle their demands, and betook myself to buying and selling, paying them something from week to week on account, and I gave not overdoing this, till I had cleared off his obligations in full, and began adding to my principal. One day, as I sat in my shop, Suddenly and unexpectedly there appeared before me a young lady, then whom I never saw a fairer, wearing the richest raman in ornaments, and riding a she-mule, with one negro slave walking before her, and another behind her. She drew rein at the head of the exchange bazaar, and entered, followed by a eunuch, who said to her, Oh, my lady, come out and away without telling anyone, lest thou light a fire which will burn us all up. Moreover, he stood before her, guarding her from view while she looked at the merchant's shops. She found none open but mine, so she came up with the eunuch behind her, and sitting down in my shop saluted me. Never heard I aught fairer than her speech, or sweeter than her voice. Then she unveiled her face, and I saw that she was like the moon, and I stole a glance at her whose sight caused me a thousand sighs, and my heart was captivated with love of her, and I kept looking again and again upon her face, repeating these verses. Say to the charmer in the dove you'd feel, Death would be welcome to abate thy bail. Favor me with thy favors that I live. See, I stretch forth my palm to take thy veil. 
When she heard my verse, she answered me, saying, I have lost all patience by despite of you. My heart knows nothing save love plight to you. If aught I sight save charms so bright of you, my parting end not in the sight of you. I swear I'll ne'er forget the sight of you, and fain this breast would soar to the height of you. You made me drain the love cup, and I leave a love cup tender for the light of you. Take this my form wherever you go, and when you die, entomb me in the sight of you. Call on me in my grave, and hear my bones. Sigh the responses to the strite of you. And were I ask of God what wouldst thou see, I answer first. His will then thy decree. When she ended her verse, she asked me, O oh, youth, hast thou any fair stuffs by thee? O oh, my lady, thy slave is poor, but have patience till the merchants open their shops, and I will suit thee with what thou wilt. Then we sat talking, I and she, and I was drowned in the sea of her love, dazed in the desert of my passion for her, till the merchants opened their shops, when I rose and fetched her all she sought to the tune of five thousand dirhams. She gave the stuff to the eunuch, and going forth by the door of the exchange, she mounted mule and went away, without telling me when she came, and I was ashamed to speak of such trifle. When the merchants done me for the price, I made myself answerable for five thousand dirhams, and went home, drunken with the love of her. They set supper before me, and I ate a mouthful, thinking only of her beauty and loveliness, and sought to sleep, but sleep came not to me, and such was my condition for a whole week, when the merchants required their monies of me, but I persuaded them to have patience for another week, at the end of which time she appeared again, mounted on a she-mule, and attended by her eunuch and two slaves. She saluted me and said, Oh, my master, we have been long in bringing thee the price of the stuffs, but now fetch the shroff and take thy monies. So I sent for the money-changer, and the eunuch counted out the coin before him and made it over to me. Then we sat talking, I and she, till the market opened, when she said to me, Get me this and that. So I got her from the merchants whatso she wanted, and she took it and went away without saying a word to me about the price. As soon as she was out of sight, I repented me of what I had done, for the worth of the stuffs bought for her amounted to a thousand dinars, and I said in my soul, what, what manner of love is this? She hath brought me five thousand dirhams, and hath taken goods for a thousand dinars. I feared lest I should be beggared through having to pay the merchants their money, and I said, They know none other but me. This lovely lady is not but a cheat and a swindler, who hath diddled me with her beauty and grace, for she saw that I was a mere youth, and laughed at me for not asking her address. I ceased not to be troubled by these doubts and fears, as she was absent more than a month, till the merchants pestered me for their money and were so hard upon me that I put up my property for sale and stood on the very brink of ruin. However, as I was sitting in my shop one day, drowned in melancholy musings, she suddenly rode up and, dismounting at the bazaar gate, came straight towards me. When I saw her, all my cares fell from me, and I forgot every trouble. She came close up to me, and greeted me with her sweet voice and pleasant speech, and presently said, Fetch me the shroff, and weigh thy money. So she gave me the price of what goods I had gotten for her, and more, 
and fell to talking freely with me, till I was like to die of joy and delight. Presently she asked me, Hast thou a wife? No, indeed. I have never known woman, and began to shed tears. Why weepest thou? It is nothing. Then, giving the eunuch some of the gold pieces, I begged him to be our go-between in the matter. But he laughed and said, She is more in love with thee than thou art with her. She hath no occasion for the stuff she hath bought of thee, and did all this only for the love of thee. So ask of her what thou wilt, and she will deny thee nothing. When she saw me giving the dinars to the eunuch, she returned and sat down again, and I said to her, Be charitable to thy slave, and pardon him for what he is about to say. Then I told her what was in my mind, and she assented and said to the eunuch, Thou shalt carry my message to him, adding to me, and do thou what so the Enoch biddeth thee. Then she got up and went away, and I paid the merchants their monies, and they all profited. But as for me, regret at the breaking off of our intercourse was all my gain, and I slept not the whole of that night. However, before many days passed, her eunuch came to me, and I entreated him honorably, and asked him after his mistress. Truly she is sick with love of thee. He replied, and I rejoined, Tell me who and what she is. The Lady Zubaida, Queen Consort of Harun al-Rashid, brought her up as a railing and hath advanced her to be stewardess of the harem, and gave her the right of going in and out of her own sweet will. She spoke to her lady of thee and begged her to marry her to thee, but she said, I will not do this till I see the young man, and if he be worthy of thee, I will marry thee to him. So, now we look for the moment to smuggle thee into the palace, and if thou succeed in entering privily, thou wilt win thy wish to wed her. But if the affair get wind, the Lady Zubaida will strike off thy head. What sayest thou to this? I will go with thee, and abide the risk whereof thou speakest. Then said he, As soon as it is night, go to the mosque built by the Lady Zubaida on the Tigris, and pray the night prayers, and sleep there. With love and gladness cried I, so at nightfall I repaired to the mosque, where I prayed and passed the night. With earliest dawn, behold, came sundry eunuchs in a skiff with a number of empty chests, which they deposited in the mosque. Then all of them went their ways but one, and, looking curiously at him, I saw he was our go-between. Presently in came the handmaiden, my mistress, walking straight up to us, and I rose to her and embraced her while she kissed me and shed tears. We talked a while, after which she made me get into one of the chests which she'd locked upon me. Presently the other eunuchs came back with a quantity of packages, and she fell to stowing them in the chest, which she locked down, one by one, till all were shut. When all was done, the eunuchs embarked the chests in the boat, and made for the Lady Zubaida's palace. With this thought began to beset me, and I said to myself, Verily thy lust and wantonness will be the death of thee. And the question is, after all, shalt thou win to thy wish or not? And I began to weep, boxed up as I was in the box, and suffering from cramp. And I prayed Allah that he deliver me from the dangerous strait I was in. Whilst the boat gave not over, going on till it reached the palace gate, where they lifted out the chests, and amongst them that in which I was. Then they carried them in, passing through a troop of eunuchs, guardians of the harem, and of the lady behind the curtain, till they came to the post of the eunuch in chief, who started up from his slumbers and stood to the damsel. What is in those chests? They are full of wares for the ladies of Bina. Open them one by one, that I may see what is in them. And wherefore wouldst thou open them? 
give me no words and exceed not to talk. His chest must and shall be opened. So saying, he sprang to his feet, and the first which they brought to him to open was that wherein I was, and when I felt his hands upon it, my senses failed me, and I bepissed myself in my funk, the water running out of the box. Then said she to the eunuch in chief, Ah, oh, steward, thou wilt cost me to be killed in thyself too, for thou hast damaged goods worth ten thousand diners. This chest contains colored dresses and four gallon flasks of Zemzem water. And now one of them hath gotten stoppened, and the water is running out over the clothes, and it will spoil their colors. The eunuch answered, Take up thy boxes and give me thought to the curse of God. So the slaves carried off all the chests, including mine, and hastened on with them, till suddenly I heard the voice of one saying, That cry struck mine ears, I died in my skin, and said a saying which never yet shamed the sayer. There is no majesty, and there is no might save in Allah, the glorious, the great. I, and only I, have brought this calamity upon myself. Presently I heard the caliph say to my mistress, A plague on me, what is in those boxes? And she answered, Dresses for the Lady Zubaydah. Whereupon he, Open them before me. When I heard this, I died my death outright, and said to myself, I, Allah, today is the very last of my days in this world. If I come safe out of this, I am to marry her, and no more words. But detection stares me in the face, and my head is as good as stricken off. Then I repeated the profession of faith, saying, There is no God but the God, and Muhammad is the Apostle of God. And Shahzad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the twenty-eighth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the young merchant continued as follows. Now when I testified, I bear witness that there is no God save thee God. I heard my mistress, the handmaid, declare to the caliph, His chest, O commander of the faithful, hath been committed to my charge by the lady Zubaydah. And she doth not wish their contents to be seen by anyone. No matter. Quote the caliph. These must they be opened and must see what is in them. And he cried aloud to the eunuchs. Bring the chest here before me. At this I made sure of death, without benefit of a doubt, and swooned away. Then the eunuchs brought the chests up to him, one after another, and he fell to inspecting the contents. But he saw in them only otters, and stuffs and fine dresses. They ceased not opening the chests, and he ceased not looking to see what was in them, finding only clothes and such matters, till none remained unopened but the box in which I was boxed. They put forth their hands to open it, but my mistress the handmaid made haste and said to the caliph, One thou shalt see only in the presence of the lady Zubaydah, for that which is in it is her secret. When he heard this, he gave orders to carry in the chests, so they took up that therein I was, and bore it with the rest in the harem and set it down in the midst of the saloon, and indeed my spittle was dried up for very fear. Then my mistress opened the box and took me out, saying, Fear not. No harm shall betide thee now, nor dread. But broaden thy breast and strengthen thy heart, and sit thee down till the Lady Zubaydah come. And surely thou shalt win thy wish of me. So I sat down, and after a while in came ten handmaidens, 
virgins like moons, and ranged themselves in two rows, five facing five, and after them, twenty other damsels, high-bosomed virginity, surrounding the Lady Zubaida, who could hardly walk for the weight of her ramen and ornaments. As she drew near, the slave girls dispersed from around her, and I advanced and kissed the ground between her hands. She signed me to sit, and when I sat down before her chair, she began questioning me of my forbearance and family and condition, to which I made such answers that pleased her, and she said to my mistress, Our nurturing of thee, O damsel, hath not disappointed us. Then she said to me, Know that this handmaiden is to us even as our own child, and she is a trust committed to thee by Allah. I again kissed the ground before her, well pleased that I should marry my mistress, and she bade me abide ten days in the palace. So I abode there ten days, during which time I saw not my mistress nor anybody save one of the concubines, who brought me the morning and evening meals. After this the lady Zubaida took counsel with the caliph on the marriage of her favorite handmaid, and he gave leave and assigned to her a wedding purse for ten thousand gold pieces. So the lady Zubaida sent for the kazi and witnesses who wrote our marriage contract, after which the women made ready sweetmeats and rich viands and distributed them among all the odahs of the harem. Thus they did other ten days, at the end of which time my mistress went to the baths. Meanwhile, they set before me a tray of food, whereon were various meats, and among those dishes, which were enough to daze the wits, was a bowl of cumin ragon, containing chicken breast, for candles flavored with sugar, pistachios, musk, and rosemary. Then, by Allah, fair sirs, I did not long hesitate, but took my seat before the ragon, and fell to and ate of it till I could no more. After this, I wiped my hands, but forgot to wash them and sat till it grew dark. The wax candles were lighted, and the singing women came in with their tambourines and proceeded to display the bride in various dresses and to carry her in procession from room to room all around the palace, keeping their palms crossed with gold. Then they brought her to me and disrobed her. When I found myself alone with her on the bed, I embraced her, hardly believing in our union. But she smelt the strong odors of the rago upon my hands, forthwith cried out with an exceeding loud cry, at which the slave girls came running to her from all sides. I trembled with alarm, unknowing what was the matter, and the girls asked her, What aileth thee, O our sister? She answered them, Take this madman away from me! I had thought he was a man of sense. What makes thee think me mad? Madman, what made thee eat cumin ragot and forget to wash thy hand? By Allah, I will requite thee for thy misconduct. Shall the like of thee come to bed with the like of me with unclean hands? Then she took from her side a plated scourge and came down with it on my back, and the place where I sit to her forearms were benumbed, and I fainted away from the much pity when she said to the handmaids, Take him and carry him to the chief of police that he may strike off the hand wherewith he ate the cumin ragot, and which he did not wash. When I heard this, I said, There is no majesty, and there is no might save in Allah. Wilt thou cut off my hand, because I ate of a cumin ragot, and did not wash? The handmaidens also interceded with her, and kissed her hand, saying, 
Oh, our sister, this man is a simpleton. Punish him not for what he had done this night. But she answered, By Allah, there is no help but that I dock him of someone, especially the offending member. Then she went away and saw no more of her for ten days, during which time she sent me meat and drink by a slave girl, who told me that she had fallen sick from the smell of the cumin or gold. After that time she came to me and said, Oh, black of face, I will teach thee how to eat cumin ragot without washing thy hands. Then she cried out to the handmaids, who came in me, and she took a sharp razor and cut off my thumbs and great toes, even as you see. Oh, fair assembly. Thereupon I swooned away, and she sprinkled some powder of healing herbs upon the stumps, and when the blood was stenched, I said, Never again will I eat of cumin ragot without washing my hands forty times with potash, and forty times with galangale, and forty times with soap. And she took of me an oath, and bound me by a covenant to that effect. When, therefore, you brought me the cumin ragot, my color changed, and I said to myself, It was this very dish that caused the cutting off of my thumbs and great toes. And when you forced me, I said, Needs must I fulfill the oath I have sworn. And what befell thee after this? When I swore to her, her anger was appeased, and I slept with her that night. We abode thus a while, till she said to me one day, Verily the palace of the Caliph is not a pleasant place for us to live in, and none ever entered it to save myself, and thou only by grace of the Lady Zubaida. Now she hath given me fifty thousand diapers. Take this money and go out, and buy us a fair dwelling house. So I fared forth, and bought a fine and spacious mansion, whither she removed all the wealth she owned, and what riches I gained in stuffs and costly rarities. Such is the cause as the cutting off of my thumbs and great toes. We ate, and were returning to our home. Continued the read. And there befell me with the hunchback that thou wottest. This then is my story, and peace be with that. Quoth the king, This story is on no wise more delectable than the story of the hunchback. Nay, it is even less so, and there is no help for the hanging of the whole of you. Then came forth the Jewish physician, and kissing the ground, said, O king of the age, I will tell thee a history more wonderful than that of the hunchback. Tell on! said the king of China. So he began the tale of the Jewish doctor. One Thousand and One Arabian Nights audio dramas, The Hunchback Tale, features Taylor Zaid Patterson, Taylor's wife, Cassandra Vladislav, Jewish physician, Tom Karen, Jewish physician's wife, Amira's daughter, Natalie Von Sistu, Nazarene broker, Patrick Seymour, Muslim lead, Chamberlain, Cameron Nawai, Sultan of China, Edwin Rong Tiong, Night Watchman, Rip Elliott, Sheikh of the Merchants, Gardner, Sean Chippewa, Townsperson, Donkey Boy, Rahul Kuru, Trooper, Rice Myers, Slave Girls, Tara Kuykendall, Waleed, Hoare, Kareem Retainer, Stephanie Longshaw, Eunuch, Courier, Richard Garner, Sheridan, Marguerite, Governors, Isaac Wells, Daniel McRae, Princess of the Harem, Caliph, Head Eunuch, Eunuchs and Sorter, Richard Priest, Tragic Man with No Right Hand, Neil 
Donald Goodwin, Tragic Prince with No Thumbs, Warren Blackie, Lady Zabida, Karen Kaler. Music selections are Arabian Sands, licensed by Derek and Brandon Feichter. Sound effects from freesound.org. Opening and ending credits theme, Enter In by Steve Irwin. Arabian Adventures by Music Bakery, licensed by Audiosparks.com. Desert Gems Audio, mixed and produced by Stephanie Longshaw. Copyright 2015, all rights reserved. Thank you.